DopeyCon IV episode of Dopey is brought to you by Oro Recovery, located in sunny Southern California, created by Bob Forrest and his friends, Evan, Jared, and Bob, with the mission to help addicts and alcoholics by using compassion and connection rather than control. Their team has many decades of helping drug addicts and alcoholics overcome co-occurring mental health disorders, including severe mental illness. They make sure the detox is as comfortable as possible, which we love. They treat their clients with respect and love, and I've heard that firsthand from their clients. So it is no joke. If you're looking to get help and you are fucked and you are willing to go to sunny Southern California, please check out Oro. And there are amenities you wouldn't believe sound bath meditation, equine therapy, surfing, and of course, my favorite, the potentially spiritually transformative sweat lodge. Check them out at ororecovery.com. You will not be disappointed if you do. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by our very good friends at Sober Buddy. Sober Buddy is an amazing app for your sober toolkit. It is not only an app... It is a social media platform full of recovering alcoholics and drug addicts to help you feel like you're on your way. More than just being an app and a platform, they are a community of Zooms. We do, I think, 12 Zooms a week, and on Wednesday morning, I host a Zoom as well. Please come, 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time every Wednesday. It is productive, fun, teeming with recovery and good times. Check them out at the App Store or the Google Play Store or at YourSoberBuddy.com. It's cheap, and there is a free trial, so if you are cheap, you can afford it. Check them out at YourSoberBuddy.com. And before we get to the show, I just want to say that this episode of Dopey is also brought to you by the most amazing app, The Phoenix. The Phoenix is a nonprofit, super-free app determined that alcoholics and drug addicts in recovery can have fun. They are determined to make your guys' lives more fun, and it doesn't cost you anything. All they want from you is to show, to say you have 48 hours clean and sober, and then go to the gym, 
go on hikes, play pickleball, come to DopeyCon. We're doing another storytelling event in a few months with the Phoenix. The Phoenix is an amazing resource for addicts and alcoholics because they are invested in your ability to have fun. Check them out at thephoenix.org slash dopeypodcast. And if you're looking for another recovery podcast, if Dopey isn't enough for you, check out Recovery in the Middle Ages. It's Nat and Mike, two sober middle-aged suburban dads looking to show you guys everything there is to know about recovery. Check them out at recoveryinthemiddleages.com and wherever you get your podcasts. And now, without further ado, DopeyCon IV. Welcome to Dopey, the podcast on drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. Yes, it is the DopeyCon IV, very special episode of Dopey. DopeyCon IV was magical. I'm not going to recap it. I'm going to do a couple things. First thing, I just want to wish everyone out there, you know, the best. It is a rough time in the Middle East, and our hearts go out to all of our brothers and sisters across the planet, no matter who you are or where you're from. Two... I just want to warn everybody, the DopeyCon IV was very, very, very dopey. So there might be some triggering stuff in there, and I'm not talking about drugs. So sit back, relax, and get ready. It was so fucking magical. I don't want to recap, but it was fucking magical. And if you wish you had been there, uh, we wish you had been there too. Next year is going to be DopeyCon V, maybe five. I don't know what we're going to call it. You better be there then if you weren't there this year. So um, that's my trigger warning. Just know that there's some shit in there that, you know, might trigger some of you. I don't know. Write an email. Let me know what you think. And without further ado, here is uh, DopeyCon IV. You know what? But before we get into DopeyCon IV, I just want to give a big thanks to some of our extra sponsors because DopeyCon IV was not cheap. It's very expensive to put on. So we had some help. And one of the people that helped us is our old friends at Mountainside Recovery. Mountainside Recovery is where I met Chris. It is a beautiful treatment center. They offer a full continuum of care, which includes detox, residential, long-term recovery, outpatient, and recovery coaching programs. They also have a really, really, really in-depth family program. They do it all. And most importantly about Mountainside, it's where I met Chris, so Dopey would not exist without them. They make it easy to feel a part of a community, which is incredible. Check them out at mountainsiderecovery.com. They also have an incredible mind-body-spirit program, which we featured at DopeyCon IV, where Tuan, the master sound bath guy, did an incredible sound bowl meditation. I also want to give an incredibly big thank you to Anna from Mountainside, who's always been such an incredible friend to Dopey. So thank you, Mountainside. And now, without further ado, here is DopeyCon IV. Hello and welcome to Dopey, the podcast on drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. My name is Dave. Thank you for coming. Um... 
It's very, very exciting and humbling. Is, can you hear me okay in the back? Is the sound traveling very slowly? Did everyone see that Tina Mathis is here? Tina Mathis, where are you? Tina, that's an OG dope back there, Tina Mathis. She was supposed to come to the first DopeyCon, but she relapsed and went to rehab instead. But you know how it goes. And then she was supposed to come to the second one, but she met her strapping boyfriend and didn't want to come. And then the third one, she's here, and I'm so happy she's here. So let's hear it for Tina one more time. And my, my dad is obviously here, so let's hear it from my father. All right, enough with the name father. Come on, it's okay. Um, I'm very excited everyone's here. We're going to have a very long show. So I encourage snacking. We're going to encourage snacking. Tonight, very exciting. For the first time ever, we are going to have the Dopey Podcast Story Slam, and the winner gets the coveted Dopey Head. And where's... Hold on, hold on. Where is graphic design Ryan? Ryan? Ryan is in the back. Anybody who ever listened to the actual show, Ryan was in the first 20 episodes like three times and designed the Dopey logo. So let's hear it for graphic design Ryan Sears, who also just didn't make it to the past Dopey cons for some reason or another. He was too busy having children and, and being sober and running his life. But uh, I'm very excited you're all here. Again, it's going to be a very long program. And to kick it off is the one and only Ray Brown. This dopey, dopey podcast that's coming in your ears with heroin and ketamine, methamphetamine and beer. Chris and that other guy, you know the hot one that everybody wants to fuck. Just thought I'd throw in a visual for the listeners. Now you know. Good luck. Start the car, oh, let's get on the way, hey, let's go. Dopey Podcast is starting up. Welcome to the, welcome to the, welcome to the, welcome to the show. everybody. All right, let's hear one more time for Ray Brown. Ray Brown is a genius. Um, I'm so excited everybody's here. Again, there's two intermissions, just so we know, because again, it will be a long program. Snacking is encouraged. There are cookies provided by Janie's Cookies, so let's hear it for Janie. She's, she's a wizard. And um, there's bathrooms. If anybody needs to use the bathroom, they're over here. And let's hear it for the bathrooms, please. Victoria, thank you. And uh, to start the show, we have a world-famous fucking legendary comedian who refused to come on the show over and over again. But he's here tonight. He's from New Jersey. He's on Netflix special. There's a Netflix special. It's on YouTube. His name is Rich Voss. Welcome to the show, Rich. Thank you. 
uh, a big hand for whatever his name is. Uh, <laughs> Dave. Uh, this is amazing. Uh, my name's Richard. I'm an addict and an alcoholic. Uh, good to see you. This is what an addict I am, but this is how I'm getting a little better. They were giving free cookies over there. And my addict mentality was, take three or four. But I only took one. But I sold it. <laughs> so now I'm going to go back for two more. <laughs> I, uh, I'm looking around the room, and I guess this is more an AA recovery thing. Uh, it's the whitest audience I've ever seen. The fuck were you people addicted to? Toast? Uh, <laughs> I was a stone-cold drug addict. Liar, manipulator. I, scumbag, I was a piece of shit. But that was my life then. My life now is like sitting on the couch with my wife, eating a protein bar, watching like The Crown. That's a big change from where I was. A big change. Not enough for her. She'll come in yelling, you didn't fold the laundry. Yeah, and I also didn't pawn your Rolex. <laughs> I was a drug addict, man. Here's a true story. One night I was copping. I used to cop in New York, 158th in Amsterdam. So I'm driving up to the spot. Now, I don't know where I got a car from, because if it was my car, it would have already been sold. Uh, I pull up to the spot, and I go to the guy, what do you got? And he showed me like five vials of crack. And, and I went like that and snatched him. He punched me twice in the head. He was quick, but I didn't really feel it because I was on like a two-week run. And I get down the road, and I open my hand, and I have three vials. That's like hitting lotto. I'm like, who's the man now, right? So I pulled down Amsterdam Avenue. I pull over. I threw it in the pipe, and I lit it, and it was soap. I pulled back on him. I go, look, pal, you don't rip me off when I'm ripping you off. Who can you trust? <laughs> I go, what you punch me in the head for over soap? <laughs> Here's the arrogance, though, of me, me saying I have 37 years clean. Believe me, I'm glad. I should be dead. I was doing a radio interview a couple weeks ago, and the interviewer said, why do you think you have 37 years and someone else might not? I said, if there was a God, maybe God kept me clean because I'm on stage and I could carry the message. It's arrogant kept me alive, yet assassinated John F. Kennedy, Martin Luther King, Bobby Kennedy, Malcolm X, but kept me alive to talk to 100 people on the step of a church <laughs> on 9th Avenue. Tsunamis and earthquakes, mudslides, but let's keep the guy alive that used to give head for crack. I didn't, one time I just kissed it like that. It, 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 it didn't break my gum line. That's the biggest laugh. A goddamn 
oral sex joke? That's what, that's what I paid a toll for? Enjoy, don't get high. The obsession and compulsion will be lifted. Thank you. All right, thank you, Rich. All right, let's hear it for Rich Voss. And like, it's DopeyCon, what's better than free cookies and oral sex jokes? I mean, that's, that's what we're here for. So I'm popping in here for a second. You can tell I'm in the, I'm actually at home in the Dopey studio. And I just want to say the Rich Voss set had to be cut because um, he told me he had, we had to cut it. <clears throat> so that's just a snippet of Rich Voss. You can check him out on Netflix and YouTube, and I'm sure he's touring the country as well. And I wanted to thank Janie's Cookies for donating these delicious pie cookies. And I also want to mention Imagine Recovery. They are a rehab in New Orleans. If you are in the South or near New Orleans, check out Imagine. Those are the guys that sent me to Jazz Fest. I was there. I went to a meeting there. It's beautiful. It's incredible. There is visionary work going on at Imagine, where love, dedication, and deep understanding of behavioral health are the touchstones for all who pass through its stained glass doors. Do you guys remember Jason Ricci, the amazing blues harmonica player who came on when I was in New Orleans? He got well at Imagine. Imagine is a quirky and accepting family, and they help so many people. So if you're fucked and you're near New Orleans, please check out Imagine Recovery or just go to imaginerecovery.com. And the truth is, the easiest way to know about a facility are the people that run it. And I've met a ton of the people at Imagine, and they're just like the kindest, sweetest, and smartest, nicest folks that you could meet. And they, they went to meetings with me, and they've been incredibly kind to me. So check out imaginerecovery.com. And now let's jump right back into DopeyCon IV. And I want, I want everyone to give themselves a round of applause because there's nothing better for me. That's Nat Kingsley actually doing a round. Let's hear it for Nat Kingsley. Recovery in the Middle Ages podcast, Nat Kingsley. And Dove sitting next to him. And like for me, the big thing is to know most of you. You know, I know most of you because you've been part of this thing for a long time. And uh, it's very, very emotional. Annie Ellie fucking came from England. Annie Ellie. Mackenzie Phillips came from California. Joe Schrank has a fucking dopey tattoo. Show the tattoo. Come on, Joe. There it is. It's here for Joe Schrank. Um, and, and I don't want to get carried away. You know, I want to relax. It's going to be a long night. But before we say another thing, Let's, let's, you know, this year we lost a bunch of people and one of the people we lost was, was Brian Connolly, was Hot Wheels, and maybe he would have come. I don't think he actually would have come to DopeyCon. But let's get a round of applause for Brian because we miss him, you know? And, um, you know, like, it's weird because I get very emotional when I do this stuff because I imagine how Chris would have reacted to it. You know, like... And I think Chris would have freaked out. And I think Chris would have been very impressed that you guys are all here. So let's give one for Chris right now, please. And um, all right, we're doing the Dopey, I, and it's not, it's like, not, everyone knows it's not DopeyCon 4, it's DopeyCon IV. 
and we're doing the DopeyCon IV Story Slam. And one of the great storytellers of Dopey this year from Brooklyn, the one and only Bobby Dukes. Let's hear it for Bobby. All right, Bobby, this is kind of weird because uh, before I got clean and sober, I never spoke in a mic unless it was in a courtroom. So, and I avoid meetings with microphones. But, uh, and it's weird being inside here because Dave knows I work for an organization that tables outside and we give condoms to injured and elderly people and nobody ever takes them except this one old Spanish lady who says it's never too late to get lucky and she takes about 20 comments <laughs> and I was hoping I would see her walking by but he told me to tell a story I said how dark he said it dark but go for laughs I don't know how funny it's going to be I laughed watching a Serbian film you know that's just where my sense of humor is but the story I picked, it was about 18 years ago, I was bottoming out in a place called the Tenderloin in San Francisco. And I was shooting crack and heroin every day. And I teamed up with these guys that were booster shoplifters. And I was the decoy because I was the, the most homeless looking one and the smelliest one. So I, all I had to do was just divert attention from the loss prevention. So, you know, I was doing that and I had this one guy, Mike, and you know, even after heroin, you know, heroin dealers have a schedule. They go home around 11 o'clock, but the crack dealers are out all night. And he would just want to keep going and going. And he'd always push me. Let's hit one more lick. Let's go to Safeway on Church and Market. Let's. And he had this um, massage parlor. This woman rented named Mama Son. She would put like an order and she'd be like, I need some icy hot uh, baby oil, Pert plus shampoo, like stuff that you could steal real easily and nobody's ever going to think you're stealing it. You know what I mean? So, you know, and we would go do that. And that's like, that was our late night hustle. And then we go down to Turk and Taylor in uh, San Francisco. And I had a crack dealer that was a midget named Green Eyes. She literally looked like a gangster jawline. What do you want? Was on so tight. And we just smoked crack for the rest of the night or shoot crack. So this one night, you know, San Francisco in the winter, it would rain a lot and it's windy. So you, I could shoot dope on any doorway, but like crack, I need a little seclusion. You know what I mean? Like I need a little privacy. So I would go into these adult bookstores and for like a dollar, you could get five minutes alone or $2. So if I had a little bit more cash, I would go in here. So, but I knew that there was the glory hole and I would have to get something to plug up the glory hole. So I'd grab like a bag or a rag from the trash and I always tried to get the one on the end because there'd only be one glory hole. Well, this night it was raining really hard. Everything I found was completely wet. I found, I ripped a piece of a tarp. And I went into this, glory, this adult video booth and it had two holes and I only had one rag. So I was like, I'm gonna make this quick. I'm, I'm not shooting. I'm just smoking some crack and go on my way. So I go in there and I found some trash or something. I plugged it up and then, you know, the video thing is here. You know, I'm smoking crack, so I'm not really feeling very sexual. So I'm just turning a blind eye to that. And I'm trying to smoke my crack. And then in the other hole comes this swarthy appendage. And I just took a hit of crack. So I'm trying to just like look over here to the gangbang and just kind of avoid it. And then it starts like wagging around. 
And, you know, it's real dusky and dark in there. It's like a coffin standing up or confession. So it's really tight. So I'm just like. <laughs> so I just had the idea. I took another hit. It starts flapping around some more. So I just go. And I take the pipe and I just kind of singe the tip of the penis. And it goes like, you know, like when you see the Nature Channel, like the moray eel goes back into the cove. And I heard like a little whimpering. And then it got louder. I saw that the, I heard the person kind of leave and I peeked out. And it was like, I guess the correct term is intellectually challenged six foot five guy with like a McDonald's outfit on. <laughs> and he was like whimpering. And he was the same guy who would like send like little love letters under the, because he would send little love letters under the video booth like, hey, I like you. And I don't know. So I left and then I tried to do another time and they were just like, yeah, you can't smoke crack in here anymore. And I was waiting for them to say, like, you can't, like, burn people's penises with a crack pipe, but <laughs> I guess anything goes. As long as you're not smoking inside the, the facility, everything was cool. And that was my story, so. Bobby Dukes. Awesome. Thank you. Who remembers Bobby's episode? Raise your hand if you remember Bobby's episode in here. Who remembers Bobby on the show? Some of you remember, that's good. The best moment for me in that story is Hank Azaria's face. Hank Azaria's face during the burning of the penis with the crack pipe is, is worth the cost of admission for me. Um, yeah, I mean like, there's addiction and there's recovery and everybody talks, every, people who wanna talk highfalutin about dopey say we end the stigma and, 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 and stuff like that. I don't talk about it like that. I say we make a funny show about addiction and recovery and we try to show that we can have fun. And I mean like the fact that you guys are here, it means it works, you know what I mean? And I, I think it, it just amazes me that you guys are here. And one person, oh, before I say another thing, we need to hear it for some of the sponsors in here. The sponsors are the reason that we have such beautiful shit in this place. So I wanna first, we wanna give a nice, first mountainside, fucking mountainside recovery. That's Anna Hui, and Anna put on the first DopeyCon basically herself. So let's hear another round of applause for Anna. She's the greatest. She could take over the world if she wanted to, and mountainside is where Chris and I met. So mountainside is, just has a special place. And, and they showed up first. So that's a big deal in recovery. Who shows up first? Next, we have Diamond Recovery. Let's hear it for Diamond Recovery. They are helping people get well. They are all over the country. We are so excited they wanted to support us. I've just met them and I'm so happy that you guys are here. Come talk to them. They have really cool hats and stuff. Okay, and then who is down there? I know the Phoenix is down there. Oh, Imagine's here. We have Chris and Felicia from Imagine Recovery from New Orleans. They put me up in New Orleans for Jazz Fest. That's a big deal. Sweet. If you're ever fucked up in New Orleans and you want to get well, you need to go to Imagine Recovery. And then the Phoenix. And whoever in here is not working with the Phoenix is crazy because the Phoenix lets junkies and alcoholics have fun. And all you need is two days clean. So some of you guys probably couldn't go, but maybe in two days you could. So let's hear it for the sponsors. Thank you all for fucking being here. And now one of my great heroes, one of my favorite guests, she flew in from California, 
fucking, I grew up watching her on TV. Mackenzie Phillips, come on up. You have a mic? Here's a mic. Hey, everybody. No, Mackenzie, come sit. Mackenzie, come sit with me. Okay. So Is we have this like, blocking you guys from yeah, seeing me? Hi. This is the worst, worst stage crew ever, man. I well, can't let No, let's hear it for Dolmer. Dolmer. Yes. And Very before nice. I even forget, does anyone remember Good Morning Dopey with Howard Buxbaum? So let's hear it for Howard Buxbaum. Hey, Howie. So Mackenzie. Wait, wait, wait. Before we start, yes. let me just say something. So Dave and I, we text a lot. And Dave is the guy who, like, has a thought, texts it. Then has another thought and texts it. And then has another thought and texts it. And, and I'm like, I love you, Dave. But can you just put them all in one text? That would be really cool. I, don't, I think, I think in, 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 in little splurts. Yes, I know. But it doesn't seem that way on Dopey. You're very linear. You're fucking hilarious. And let me just tell you that Dave said, yeah, we're just going to talk about needles. That's all. I just need you to talk about needles. I'm like, well, actually, I am very well versed in needles, so let me let let me just talk to you about needles. There we go. Honest, aren't you impressed with DopeyCon IV? Wasn't it very impressive? I mean, you do a lot of stuff, but this is DopeyCon IV. See this? And who is the genius who realized that it was actually IV? I don't know. I'm going to take credit for it. Okay, good. You I'm going to take credit for it. I stalked Mackenzie Phillips for seven years. For seven years, and, and, and I don't know what happened that you finally responded to me. You wore me down. That's what I do. I, wore pe- I wear people down. That's what I do. Now, you said you have a funny needle story, so I definitely want to hear it. I have so many funny needle stories and so many tragic needle stories, but um, here's a, let me just tell you first one that's not... Well, it's kind of funny, actually. I mean, I think it's funny, but... Other, you know how people are, right? You tell them a story and they're like, what the fuck? And then here we can tell a story like that and they're going to, yes, yes, that's right. So I mean, I have, let me just start with this quick one. I'm in an airport, right? And usually I would go out to the sink and get a little thing of water and then go back into the stall and cook up a shot, right? Well, this time, there were just too many fucking people, women, washing their hands, putting on their lipstick, whatever, so I just pulled some water out of the toilet, right? I mean, right? Who else did that? It's supposed to be very clean water. It's cleaner than tap water. That's what people say. It's because of all the chemicals in it, I think. So I have lived in the same house for 23 years, and um, I wish Drew was here already because when I did, hey Drew, no, Doctor Drew is here in the back. Where's Doctor Drew? There's Doctor Drew. Hey Drew. So when I went to Celebrity Rehab, when I did season five of Celebrity Rehab, you know there was blood on the ceilings of my bedroom. Like there were needles everywhere. It was just, you know, it was a nightmare. And uh, Drew's crew went in and did like a little freshen up on my bedroom and cleared away some of the wreckage of my addiction. And for that, I'm forever grateful, except for the shelf that they put over my bed. 
And then one day, luckily I wasn't in the bed, it literally just crashed to the bed. But that's not the story, because I am grateful. And I love you, Drew. And I don't know if Susan's there, but I love Susan's you Susan's here. Let's okay. hear it for Susan, too. Susan's in the back. I love Susan. Okay, you want me to tell that story now, right? Okay, so I would call medical supply companies and be like, hi, I need 500 syringes sent to my home. And they were like, okay. Like literally they would just send a giant box of syringes to my house. And then, so I'd be like, I, have, I got plenty of clean ones. I got so many. I'd be like, I don't need that one anymore because I got so many. I don't need that one anymore. They were literally everywhere. They were lined up on the tables. It was, my bedroom was a shooting gallery for one, right? Just, just me, 500 needles, speedballing, you know, like a crazy person, sitting on the floor crying because I couldn't find a vein, taking a hot shower, trying to pull one up. Um, but I had all these fucking needles, right? And they were just stacked everywhere. One night I had a dream that they were like dancing like the Rockettes. Like they were just lined up doing this, you know. But then I ended up with all these surplus needles. So I'm like, what am I going to do with them? What, 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 what do you do with them? So I got a cardboard box. That I did this many times. And I just crammed all these old, used, bloody needles in there. And then I, <laughs> oh God. Then I wrapped it in masking tape all around, and I wrote on it, bad trash, biohazard, do not open. And then I would drive around until I could find, because you know, they lock the dumpsters now, you can't get in them. So I'd drive around LA, and this was a long time ago, but until I could find an unlocked dumpster, and then I would toss it in and start all over again. Um, was that right. funny? It's real. You know, there's yeah. a famous, in the dopey community at least, there's a very famous story that when I lost my apartment uh, and I had, was sent to treatment in Florida, my father had to go to clean out my apartment and uh, he like pricked himself on a needle and was scared he got AIDS. And somehow I think that story is funny because I'm <laughs> sick. I have serious problems. But like, it's a crazy thing. Like, how many here had a bloody ceiling at some point in their life? You know? And it's like, we survived. How many people stole needles from their diabetic dog? I didn't do that, no. How's the dog? He's dead. Well, at least we're here. He's actually the dog, Max the Pug, that I had to put down while I was on Celebrity Rehab. I don't know if anybody saw that episode, but... Max, the king of all pugs, lives on in my heart. Yeah, you know, I was listening to Rich Voss, and man, is he fucking funny or what? I mean, that guy's really funny. And uh, he was talking about the donut thing, and years ago, uh, many, many years ago, at this place called Two Bunch Palms in Desert Hot Springs in L.A., it was just a bastion of people getting loaded, like people fucking in the bushes. I mean, it was crazy, but it was a very high-end spa and resort. And I ran into a friend of mine there, and 
you know, I sold him some blow, and then I saw him, like, years later, and he goes, hey, did I ever pay you for that, that blow? And I said, yeah, but I ripped you off. <laughs> I'm like the kind of person who would steal your drugs and then help you look for them. I would never steal your money. <laughs> I would never steal your jewelry, but I would steal your drugs, and then I'd go, oh, my God, where the fuck did they go? Meanwhile, they're in my back pocket, so, yeah. Well, we do what we have to do. And, uh, and Mackenzie works at a treatment center called Breathe Life in California. Breathe Life Healing Center. Breathe Life Healing Center. And when I went out there, I got to meet her, and it was so cool. I mean, like, me and my sister used to watch one day at a time, like, on the street. And the fact that you're sitting—I mean, I grew up on the street. So the fact that you're sitting with me is very meaningful to me. And I know that all of the really famous people here were like, I just want to meet Mackenzie Phillips. So thank you Shut for coming. I'm not even joking. That's what they said. Fucking Rich Voss, Hank Azaria, where's Mackenzie Phillips? Dr. Drew, Mackenzie Phillips is the best. So let's hear it for Mackenzie Phillips. Thanks, thank everybody. you so much. All right. What do we have next? I don't even remember. All right, is Nick Flynn here? Thank God. Nick Flynn is a very, very, very important person to me and to the world. He's a poet, he's a memoirist, he's a friend, he's a person in recovery. Why didn't you say hi when you got here? Okay, we got late, we were late. That's okay, how are you? Nick Flynn, of course, wrote another bullshit night in, in, in Suck City, one of my, a great memoir. Who here read, this is gonna put you on the spot. Who here read another bullshit night in Suck City? Nick wrote a poem for DopeyCon 1 and 2, and he wrote one for DopeyCon IV. Will you read it? Thank you. Nick Flynn, let's hear it for Nick Flynn. Uh, hi, everybody. Uh, so this is uh, DopeyCon IV for Dave. My friend Marie read a poem inside a church yesterday. Did it make you want to go back to church, I asked. It made me want a church, she said. What would you do with a church, I asked. Where would you hide it? Not everything is meant to be hidden, she answered. Now here we are in the church of the holy apostles. This church feeds hundreds of hungry people every day. As you have done to the least of those, you have done to me. That was one of the apostles talking. On day one, a stranger told me, you don't have to do this alone anymore. So when Dave asked me to write another poem, I said, I'll do it if you give me the words. Poems take words, I explained. He seemed to understand. He gathered some words together. To start, I told him, I need five objects. Dave handed me a balloon filled with nitrous oxide. A cookie, he invented, that few understand. <laughs> a knife he stole from a steakhouse. I asked Dave to name a verb. His verb was to float. How's the air up there, Dave? Come down, Dave, come down. My sponsee trusts the fentanyl pills the cartel sells. Trust is a verb. He called me from the hospital at 2 a.m. His name came up on my phone. At first, I didn't answer. I knew every word he was going to say. We'd been moving toward this moment since day one. It was day 45. 
Why is this taking so long, he asked. When will I feel better? Maybe give it a little more time, I suggested. At the beginning, I couldn't string two good days together for months. I put a list over my desk, people to call when it got dark. And I would go down that list until I felt better. When the call came, I asked if he was ready, if he was done. Not yet, he said, not yet. I asked Dave to tell me a moment of joy. Getting free samples of brownie brittle with my four-year-old from Costco, he told me. I asked Dave to close his eyes and imagine a landscape. He saw the Great Salt Lake in Utah, where they treated him like a minor king. I asked Dave to close his eyes and imagine an historical event. He saw Rosa Parks refusing to move to the back of that bus. He saw Ben Franklin flying that kite in a storm, a key in his hand. What if addiction is the bus we refuse to move to the back of? What if we are the key that leaps, that keeps us in our seats? Look around. We made it. Thank you. Thanks, Nick. All right, let's hear it for Nick Flynn. Hello. Now, and that's Trevor. What's up, Trevor? I'm all right. Let's let's hear it for Trevor. Come on. He came from California. Now, um, this is Annie. Hi, everybody. How are you? That's Annie, Chris's girlfriend. You can say ex-girlfriend. No, girlfriend. Always girlfriend. Always girlfriend. Eternal girlfriend. (laughs) Eternal, for sure. And Annie is now a married doctor with a baby. And before, before Dave keeps talking, how about we give him a round of applause? Like he put so much work, so much work into the podcast and into getting us all together. I'm a sick person, but uh, <laughs> Linda was supposed to come and do this with us, but our four or five-year-old uh, got a terrible fever, so she didn't come. And... Um, we wanted to put something together about everybody that we've lost since we started. And obviously, the thing that we put together cannot be as comprehensive as it should be because we don't know everybody that you guys lost. And it's funny, uh, this woman came over the other night or the other afternoon to record with me and her husband had died. Oh, wow. And she had listened to our episode a number of times. And? And I, I don't think I've ever listened to it. Our episode? Yeah, the episode after Chris I, died. I, listened, I tried listening to it the other day. I couldn't finish. It's really raw. That's the most listened to episode by a mil- like by It's like the episode after Chris died is listened to more than any other episode by, I don't know, a huge percentage. Who has listened to it? Oh, yeah. Who's listened to it more than once is really the question. And the, and the other question is, is why? Yeah, why? You know, it's... Because it's, cra- it's really raw. It's, and it's, it's really real. And they wanted to know how this could happen to Chris. Because it could happen to anyone. But uh, wouldn't you think... What do you, how do you think Chris would handle this whole thing? This? Yeah. He'd be in the corner freaking out. Yeah. But he would fucking love it. In the corner, freaking out and loving it. He yes. would love it. Um, tell us about your life really quick before we do our video. So um, for those that have been following, I've been in California now for three months. I'm a surgical fellow over there. Um, yes. 
And I have a nine-month-old who just said his first word. What was the word? It was the dog's name, Coco. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I hate California. I miss New York. You miss the Bronx? I miss the Bronx. That's crazy. (laughs) Who here has ever missed the Bronx? Anybody? (laughs) Somebody thinks that's funny. That's nice. That's a nice, that's a nice hearty laugh in the back. Uh, But life is good. Married three years this coming November. It's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, Last year, Annie was here carrying her baby. Pregnant. And I kept saying, it's not Chris's baby. (laughs) No. (laughs) You know, which I thought was funny in a sick way. Um, (laughs) Tommy doesn't think that's funny. You don't think that's funny, Tommy? Let's hear it for Tommy from the beach. I can't help it. Tommy was supposed to come before... He smokes cigars at the beach meeting. I just, it's so cool for me to see. It's like, for me, this whole thing is all these people from all these different parts of my life, and then all of these people that Dopey affected. And, and I know how much you affected them, and I know how much what happened affected everybody here. And, um, you know, I think it's, it's, it's humbling to me. Like the, the Time Magazine documentary, they're doing this, this sizzle reel for, yeah. for Time Magazine, and it's just about, the first half of it is about Chris's death. And it's every time I, I watch it, it's so painful. And you told me that last summer you started actually finally listening to the show. I started listening to the show during the summer. I feel like I was finally ready to hear his voice. It makes me miss him even more. Did you have any moments, uh, like what was, do you have any highlights you recall from listening to The Stupid Show? Yeah, um, I told you about this because we talked about it in the, in the phone call that we had a few, a few weeks ago, but I remember him referring to himself as a sapiosexual. 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 Yes. Uh, Chris, Chris was a sapiosexual that was attracted to intelligence. He was attracted to intelligence. So the narcissist in me is very proud of that. Um, and then you joke and said, wouldn't it be funny if you end up with a doctor? And then? And then he ended up with a doctor. The eternal doctor-girlfriend. The, the eternal doctor-girlfriend. And, and I have to say, and then we're going to play the memorial video, and this is weird, and I, I don't want to offend you, but the baby looks just like Chris. I was just going to say that. I was weird. just going to say that. The baby looks just like Chris. You beat me to like it. Chris, right? What's yeah. his name? Adrian. Adrian. All right, we're going to, what we're going to do, does everybody have a candle? Everybody get your candle ready. My father was like, maybe you shouldn't do the candles. Maybe you're going to burn the church down. Let's make sure we don't burn the church down. But, but what he said was, he said, maybe the smoke alarm will go off, <laughs> right? But what he really meant is maybe you fucking idiot junkies are going to fucking burn the church down. <laughs> That's what he meant. So let's not burn the church down. We're going to get off the stage. Oh, by the way, Cormac is running the video. So let's hear it for Cormac. And thank you, Annie. We're going to play the video. Everybody, does everybody have a candle? We're going to try to coordinate this as best we can. Robert, let's hear it for Robert, our stage manager. You're going to dim the lights. Let's hear it nicely for Robert, please. Come on. He's here. He's doing a lot of good work. And uh, you guys are going to light the candles. Here we go. Just hold the fucking candle. 
All right, I ha everyone take a seat. Okay, get your cookies and sit down, relax. I had a weird idea and it might not work. Okay, the weird idea is to try to get the room to do uh, the baby back rib song, okay? So who is down to try to do this? Okay, all right, we'll try to do the baby back ribs thing. Okay. Let's shut the lights down, though. Fuck it. It's too bright. Let's hear it from my neighbor, Gil Sachs. Gil Sachs lives on my street. He's a professional photographer. He's here. He's here for... And let's hear it from Mrs. Robinson, the great Mrs. Robinson. I'm sure a lot of you heard her episode. All right, so you guys are going to do... I want my baby back, baby back, baby back. I want my baby back, baby back. I need you all to actually do it. 
Who's in the back? Okay. Ray, can you do it? Okay. Ray, how many people are here? You're supposed to be counting heads. What are you doing? All right. I want my baby back, baby back, baby back. I want my baby. Hold on, hold on. And now you guys are going to go, Julie's baby back ribs. All right. One, two, three. I want my baby back, baby back, baby back. I want my baby back, baby back, baby. I want my... Hey, hey, you're supposed to keep going. Do I have to do the bottom part and then you guys do the top part? You guys say I want my fucking baby back part and then you guys do Chili's baby back ribs. Dad, are you going to sing? Devin and Jim, are you going to do it? Let's hear it for Devin and Jim. They've both been on the show numerous times. They sold merch last year. All right, Devin, I post on Instagram every fucking time the Knicks win. Let's hear it for Devin and the New York Knicks. All right. Oh, my God. I can't believe it. Fentanyl J is here. Let's hear it for fucking Fentanyl J. Now... If you think Fentanyl J should go to jail and turn himself in and have a better life, raise your hand. All right, we love you, Jay. Who loves Fentanyl J? Okay. Now, who hates Fentanyl J? Now, my dad, that's Jay. Jay, that's my dad. Now, let's hear it from my dad and Fentanyl J hugging it out. It's a beautiful moment. All right, we're going to try to do the Chili's thing again. I want my baby back, baby back, baby back. I want my baby back, baby back, baby back. I want my baby back, baby back. All right, that's good enough. That's here for everybody. That's fantastic. I don't remember what we have next, though. What do we have next? Oh, my God, where's Brandon Novak? Brandon Novak, where are you? Come up, come on, Brandon. Now, in the history of the Dopey podcast, there have been returning guests, there have been regulars, and then there's Brandon Novak. Oh my God, I gotta find the fucking medal. Hold on, hold on. All right, this is serious business. There's, there's, there's some people, and then there's some people, and then there's Brandon Novak. Brandon Novak, when he had five months clean and I had four or three or something, we found his number and we called him on the show and he answered. And that's fucking Brandon Novak. And then he came on again and again and he wasn't afraid to kick the dopey every fucking time. You know, it's funny, I was sitting here in the back when you talked about this is the fourth? Ivy, yes. Yeah, Ivy. Yes. Um, and, and I was thinking, you know, what my connection to this was, being part of this movement, because as I come, I came last year, I was deathly sick this year, and it's growing immensely, like you're running out of seats. Nice. And um, how it happened was at the time I was dating this, this musician slash life coach in California, and nice. to give you a perspective of what I was dealing with, she was Demi Lovato's life coach before she made a bunch of terrible fucking decisions. And, um, <laughs> and she's, I get a call from these guys, and I didn't really know much about Dopey, and, and he said, hey, I want you to come on Dopey. And I said, well, what is it about? And he shared with me and, and I ran it by her. And she said, that's a terrible idea. She said, there's 
no reason anyone should make light of such bad behavior. And I did it. And, and shortly thereafter, she left me because she said, um, uh-huh. you know, I'm, I'm grateful you found sobriety, but you're just still prone to making terrible fucking decisions. And uh, that was my connection to being in this church tonight with a bunch of junkies. Okay, so we're gonna do two things. The first thing is, this is the first ever Dopey Medal of Freedom. You see this? Engraved, laser engraved. What does it say on the back? Brandon Novak. That's Brandon Novak. (laughs) He gets the first ever Dopey Medal of Freedom. And I'm I'm a little verklempt over here. And then you're going to tell your story in the Dopey fucking Ivy Story Slam. Are you prepared? Yeah, like, like Mackenzie did, like one of those stories? Yeah. Got it. You got a story? I believe so, yeah. First, I gotta, I gotta do this. Ah. Let's hear it for Brandon Novak, the dopey Medal of Freedom winner. I love you. And my mother thought that heroin would never amount to anything. Right? I was thinking uh, through hearing their stories of, of, you know, 20 years of active addiction, and a lot of terrible decision-making. The majority of those decisions were made under the influence of shooting a lot of cocaine. Uh, you know, heroin, I just slept. You know, I wasn't really making any decision to do anything. And it's ironic, I have this humongous tattoo on my, my stomach that says carpe diem in Latin, seize the day. And, seize and the day. I literally just spent my life trying to sleep through every fucking moment. So it's totally, uh, you know, contradictory. But anyway, so, so we were in New York some years ago and we were doing the Howard Stern show. and. And to do the Howard Stern show, you have to wake up at like 5 a.m. to do the show. So, of course, I decided I would shoot coke throughout the night to not oversleep and just stay up. I did a similar thing, actually, but keep going. Yeah. So we, we go do the show, and, and, and I had a habit of kind of letting my mouth write checks that my ass didn't want to cash. And I, I wrote this check on that show for shock value and stated how I wanted to get blown by a, transsex, uh, a transvestite. <laughs> Um, I'm not gay, no issue with that. I just thought, you know, it'd be a rad idea to get blown by a tranny. Um, some people never forgot that story. Fast forward two years later, we're on tour in, in Australia and, and just the name of this tour, if it wasn't destined for success, I don't know what is. The, the tour was called Fuck Face Unstoppable. And, um, and, and we do this tour and, and, and at one of the venues after the end of the evening, the promoter goes to some of my people, what can we get for you guys? And, and one of my, my buddy Bam says, um, we need a tranny. We need a tranny and we need a tranny to show up and be in the hotel ready to blow Novak after the show. Now, again, I had been shooting coke for like about five times, five days at this point in a row. So I'm really delusional and I'm, I used to watch that TV show Cops all the time where the where the police would be next door and the prostitution rings and, and they'd be waiting and as soon as the guy walked in, they'd come through and they'd fucking nab him. Five days awake shooting coke. I'm, I'm, I believe that everyone's out to get me. We go into this, this hotel after the show and, and uh, all of a sudden there's a knock at the door and there's this big like Hawaiian linebacker of a tranny with the pimp. And they come in and, and, and they instruct me that he slash she is here to blow me. And I know nothing about this. 
And uh, I'm engaged at the time. I have a fiance. And um, I'm paranoid that people are going to catch me, that this is an undercover sting. I'm going to jail. And my fiance will find out. So I, I put everybody into the bathroom, including the pimp and, and all my friends. And, and now it's me and, and he slash she. And, and she's sitting in the chair here. And, and he looks at me and he said, do you want to go to the bed? And I said, why the fuck would we go to, to the bed? We could do all this here. And, uh, and I said, look, let's just get to the point. I believe that you're an undercover cop. So if you're going to arrest me, just let's just do this. And he slash she gets down on their knees and they come over and they start performing this act, right? But, but I'm generally the kind of guy who likes to talk dirty during sex. And, Clearly. And uh, it's hard to do with this linebacker, right? And, and it does not look like a woman. It's not what I envisioned, like, my experience getting blown by a tranny would look like ever. I thought it was going to be, like, fucking meeting God. Sorry, God. Um... <clears throat> I'm sitting in this hotel room in Australia. I'm high on blow for five days. Think everyone's gonna arrest me. My wife's gonna leave, fiance's gonna leave me. And finally, they st it starts, he, she starts blowing me. I'm, I'm talking dirty and, and we get the job done in like quickly, really quick. Thank God. And um, they leave, they, they come out of the room and on the way out of the, the hotel, they swipe my friend's easily like $25,000 platinum necklace off the, the thing. So the moral of this story is I got blown by a tranny in Australia that looked similar to a Hawaiian linebacker. And when I finished the tour, when you're supposed to get paid what you made, I ended up owing $5,000 to cover the expenses of the tranny porn linebacker, the necklace, and to make matters worse, one of the people that were in the room sent the video to my then fiance, who also decided to oh leave me. So um, moral of the story, don't get blown by an Asian tranny in um, Australia. If you're engaged. Yes. If you're engaged is the moral it's, of the story. Yeah. That's the moral. Or maybe don't shoot coke. Yeah, don't shoot coke. Either way, let's hear it for Brandon Novak. Maybe you will win the Medal of Freedom and the coveted dopey head. Thank you, Brandon. All right. I think next up, I hope, where is he? Where's Sean Weiss? Sean Weiss, coveted dopey guest. Fucking Goldberg in the Mighty Ducks came to my father's apartment, and now he's in from California. Come sit down. I have a quick question, and then if you want to tell a story, you can tell a story. Well, I had a really good story, but never mind. Do you want to tell the story, or you want me to ask the Fucking question? Fucking shit. I want to know what happened with the Judd Apatow amends. Oh, Jesus Christ. Did I ruin the story? Well, I mean, no, but like, I could, I guess I can't get in any worse trouble than I'm in now. I, don't, I mean, this is as good as it gets. So I All told right. a, I told a story about how I uh, pawned his laptop yes. on your podcast. Yes. And then months later, it turned up on, in like the Page media. six. Page six. Yes. You know, the actual page and everything. Well, that's, that's a column. Page six oh, in the oh, New York okay. Post. Let's hear it for page yeah. six, everybody. Let's hear it for page six. Shout out to Fentanyl J. So that was embarrassing. That was fairly embarrassing. And um, 
He's not giving me any more laptops. That's, that was the last one. Did he reach out? Uh, he hasn't reached out, no. All right, tell the story, please. Tell the story? I would love to hear the story. Well, it was just a simple story. I mean, it's, this is nothing new. I was, uh, my addiction got really bad. And, you know, like on the streets of Los Angeles, when you're to support your habit, when you're a good-looking guy like myself, you can either do sex favors or you can steal shit. So I got arrested for stealing shit a lot. Uh, I just really, I never had any sex favor offers, I'm going to be honest with you. So one day I just, uh, I, had, I had this laptop, and my idea was I was going to pawn it and get it back. And really when I got the laptop, it was very important to me. It was like getting your favorite player's baseball glove. So this was Judd Apatow's laptop that he gave to me to like write scripts on. And so instead of taking this laptop and doing something productive with with it, I took it to a pawn shop, and I got 60 bucks for it, and uh, never made it back to the pawn shop, surprisingly. And so somebody got that laptop and has no idea what they're holding in their hands. It's I wonder if anybody it. knows what they got. What was the story you wanted to tell? Well, <laughs> and I want to say one thing. Story, Wait, before you really say anything, edgy. I want to say this. Fucking, you look fantastic, Thank first you, of all. Dave. You really Thank do. Thanks And secondly, Sean White, I mean, you, you have such an amazing comeback, and I think your comeback is really important for everybody here to know. You know, you were in the streets for, for years, and you came back, and you show how you can do it, and, and how you can yeah. enjoy your life, and I for think, sure. like, that's what Dopey is all about, too. So I, I was definitely 100% the worst kind of drug addict. Like, I was under the bridge. I didn't even have my own tent, so... If I could make it back from that, anybody can. Really, I was in the worst spot. So I had a, sto I had a story. I was in Los Angeles in the middle of. People ask me how long was your run? Like five years. I didn't not. From the day I picked up a meth pipe, I didn't put it down until I got arrested and got clean, literally. So one night, we were. I was out with a female, and we were doing some crazy shit. And there's this little. Uh, mini market that's basically the last and only stop between Hollywood and the San Fernando Valley. And so I had stopped at this mini market in my RV van that I was living out of at the time. And I had this female with me and we were in bad shape. It was probably four or five o'clock in the morning. And the female was at the, I had a table set up in the, in the van and she was at the table, just nodded out with the needle in her arm, just like this. And uh, I was in the front seat, in the driver's seat, writing, writing, because, you know, you come up with the best shit when you've been up for 59 days, right? So I'm writing in jokes, because at some point I'm going to put this meth pipe down and be a very successful stand-up comedian. And so I look up, and there are, no bullshit, 11 cops standing in front of my van, looking at me. They pulled up in two SUVs. I guess they're coming for their morning coffee. And they're just staring at me, and I look up, and they're looking at me like, this poor fucking guy, what are we gonna do, arrest him? Like, he's, you know, in a pathetic position. So, I had a brilliant idea, right? I'm gonna save this whole situation. And I jump out of the van, and I run up to these cops, and I go, guys, I'm working on some stand-up material. 
And I feel like if I can make you guys laugh, then I'm on to something. Do you mind if I tell you my jokes? And they're like looking around like, the fuck? And so I proceed to tell them my jokes. And I remember still one of the jokes, uh, Schwarzenegger, or no, Donald Trump had just gotten elected. And I said, uh, now that Trump is elected, uh, autocorrect on your cell phone is gonna change uh, Mexican to wetback or some stupid bullshit, <laughs> horrible joke. And then I said to this, I said, you know, I have a feeling that uh, when you guys show up to calls, that if you really wanted to catch the bad guy, you wouldn't turn your siren on, right? right? Like the siren is letting the guy know how much time he has to get away. So I feel like you guys are just really scared all the time. And they were like, you know what, there's something to that, right? And they're like, we actually have a certain code, a code where we, when we actually want to show up like, and surprise people, we show up without our headlights and without our sirens, and it's called Hawkeye. Nice. Hawkeye. And I'm like, are you fucking serious? There's a code for this? I said, shit, I got to write this down. So I reach into my back pocket and I take out my pen, but it's my meth pipe. <laughs> and I'm just standing there and they're just staring at me and I'm staring at it. It was probably about a half an hour went by. And uh, I just, they were nice, man. I just put it back in my pocket, acted like it never happened. And, uh, and the main guy, he goes, don't quit your day job. And they all turned around and walked back in. Yeah, I mean, LAPD. That's awesome. That's I, an awesome fucking I story. Say, I, I really must say, the LAPD has been very nice to me. Uh, one time they took me to McDonald's before taking me to jail. So they're big Ducks fans. Thanks, thanks goodness. Yeah. Were they like Goldberg, get a day job Always. kind of thing? Basically that kind of attitude. I was in one cop car. And the cop said to me, uh, he was a fan of the Mighty Ducks, and he's like, you know, I, uh, I was hoping if when I met you, uh, it'd be more like the movie. <laughs> so, so, so I farted in his car, just, just for him. Inside, that's a Mighty Ducks joke. Anyway. I need to say that uh, Quest to Recovery sent Sean out here, so we should give, give them yeah. some credit. Yeah. Let's hear it for Quest and Sean. I think your story was fucking killer. Thank you so much. And maybe Sean Weiss will win the coveted dopey Maybe. Head. We'll see what happens. Thank you, Sean. Thanks, David. Thank you. I love you, buddy. Thank you. Okay, What do we have next? Oh, yes. This was my favorite part of the show. And Sean was incredible. I, I hadn't told Sean what to do, and he came with a killer story. I want anybody in here who's been on Dopey or even Dopey Patreon, stand up. Anybody in here who's ever been on the show, stand up. And I want to acknowledge quickly, really quickly. First, Ray Brown, because he caught my eye. Let's hear it for fucking Ray. Fucking Ray. Katie Bates over here. Mrs. Robinson. Hank Azaria. Fucking hell. Joe Schrank. Bobby Dukes. Aaron Carr, strung out author and equestrian. Fucking Hazi, the, the EMS worker. I can't see you. Who is that? Who's standing up here? Who am I seeing? Oh, it's Paulina Pinsky. Holy shit. I can't see. I've got bad vision. Who's here? Stephanie Roberts right here. I can't see anything. Liz Ann. Fucking Chris Bellina from the Phoenix. Scott Wick from fucking Dopey Nation legend. Nick Flynn. 
Charlotte, our fucking greatest dopey scholarship, she went to Turnbridge for over a year and she's still sober. Let's hear it for Charlotte. Suki Jones, the great writer of See, Swallow Me. Nat Kingsley, Dove Henry, fucking, I mean, Kim, were you on the show in voicemail form? Kim, what's your last name? Everybody, that's Andrew, do you remember, everybody remember hobo, hippie, Andrew? That's, that's his mom. So let's hear it for Andrew and his mom. Mackenzie Phillips, you know. The illustrious Annie Ellie, who I cannot live without. And, and let's hear it for everybody. And Dr. Drew, why didn't Dr. Drew stand up? Fucking Dr. Drew, he's only been on the show 15 times. Why didn't you get the dopey medal of freedom? I don't know, I don't, I'm not a great producer. I do what I try to do. Maybe next year, Dr. Drew, you can come back, win the Dopey Medal of Freedom. Now it's a real treat. We have, is Lily here? Where's Lily? Lily Taylor, come on up. Hank Azaria, come on up. And Joe Schrank. We're gonna, we're gonna have a really important talk. Let's hear it for Lily Taylor, because I didn't see it in the background. Hi, come sit down. Welcome. Hank Azaria finally got his dopey Mets hat. Someone asked me, does Hank Azaria know Lily Taylor? And I, I don't know, do you guys know each other? The answer is yes. Yeah, we worked together on Mad About You over 20 years ago. Nice, and the Simpsons parody was Mad About You. But that's was all it? it? Yeah, there was a whole thing. So that's you all. know these things I know. I know, that's the whole thing. Um, now, oh, let's hear it from my dad's chairs, everybody. Wow. It's not your fault, Joe. My dad buys oh, cheap, wow. cheap furniture. I guess so. Well, I don't, if that chair didn't work, I don't think that one's gonna work. Joe, take, take this chair. Joe, 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 take Joe, take this chair. That chair's gonna break. My dad's chairs are very cheap. He buys really cheap stuff. I broke one of his chairs. Yeah, take yeah, a, no, 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 sit no, here. That's, that's the one. That is the greatest moment in dopey history, Joe. Listen, life happens, take the big chair. Let's hear it for Joe Schrank once again. How many of us have ever sat down on a chair and it broke? I know I have. I love you, Joe. You're a wonderful person. Joe, Wait, tell the funny story real quick. I can't move on from that that quickly. For Can a we second. move on, please? No, no, Thank no. I love Joe. Are, are you all right? I am, I'm yeah. actually. I'm actually kind of familiar with this. I'm not a small person, so. Has that happened to you before? Um, no, but I'm, you know, I'm 6'5". I know. Flirt with 300 pounds. Yeah. So none of it is that big of a You were on the D-line at USC? Or the I, was, line? I was on the defensive line yeah, at USC. So he has an excuse. He's right. a football player. But anyway. I'm not I, Samoan, though. Usually you get a break. Hank? Can I'm you process this trauma for me really quickly? Well, I, just, I, I don't I know if I'm going to be able to I love Joe, and it can't be his first choice that that would happen to him in a church in front of 200 people. So. Can we, can we hear, give it once again for my father and his cheap chairs? But here's what, here's what I will say about your father, yes. is I love your father because after working in rehab for 25 years, he reminds me of the beleaguered dad who's sick of paying for rehab. Yeah. My big plan for us to talk is not to tell fucked up IV drug stories because Hank was just on the show and he's like, listen, I used to sell heroin. I used to sell crack. I'm not telling those fucking stories, Dave. I'm only going to talk about Al-Anon 
codependency. Uh, Dave's lying. That's not true. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not lying. I'm joking. Come on. We mentioned page six. We don't need to like start anything. Yeah, page six. Don't mention that. I was just joking. I want to talk about the importance of talking about recovery. Because Lily, you talk about recovery. Hank, Hank loves talking about recovery. And Joe, you don't like keeping anything in the shadows. No, no. And Hank, why did you want to do the Dopey Show in the first place? Well, Joe mentioned it to me. I've known Joan for years. And uh, lately I've been trying, thinking that I want to get my voice out there in public more about recovery. Joe had mentioned to me years ago, we've often debated it. I was like, well, but you know, anonymity and everything, right? And uh, who am I really to uh, run around uh, talking about these things? And uh, honestly, with the uh, controversy I went through on The Simpsons a bunch of years ago about the character of Apu, launched me on a journey of social justice and recovery and learning about that. And what I discovered was I approached that uh, programmatically, meaning what's my part? What was I in denial about? How can I make amends? And so now I've become a seminar leader and I've formed a nonprofit and we run around talking about this stuff. And in fact, I have found that my influence as a person in recovery has affected the way we talk about this. So I can't talk about uh, that stuff without talking about recovery. So I figured, I'm, well, I might as well lean into the whole thing. And now in this world where we have podcasts like yours and there's so much um, niche interest, I just think the good outweighs the bad. Um, any, any uh, what's the word? I don't know, uh, hesitation or uh, worry over uh, what I might be revealing about myself or, or upsetting people, you know, upsetting folks who feel like it's anti-tradition. I really genuinely feel like it's better to talk about it than not talk about it. I think it's so good for us to be together and talk about it. And Lily, you came on too, shockingly. And, and how, how comfortable are you to talk about your recovery in public usually? If, if it comes up, yeah. I mean, I don't really have that much anonymity in a way. Like, but then I think I'd rather that than seeing me on a bar stool or falling off a bar stool. I'd much rather someone know I'm sober than a drunk. Absolutely. I'll comment on that one. Um, you know, I think that it's, uh, first of all, the tradition is among AA, there are 23 million Americans who identify themselves as in recovery, and there are 2 million members of AA. So there are 20 million other people who are not bound by the tradition to talk about AA or not to talk about AA. And the other thing to always bear in mind is that when HIV crisis hit, silence equaled death. And I think it's very much the same thing with addiction and especially the opioid crisis. Absolutely. And I think like Dopey brings people together because we're not so highfalutin and we make stupid jokes. And obviously Hank Azaria never sold heroin or crack. That was a joke. It's a stupid joke and I scared Hank. So just reassure I'm Hank, right, you're not I'm gonna right. tell anybody that he did that, because that was just me being stupid. But the point is that we bring people together with my stupidity and our ability to talk about what really happened. And like, we've all been through something. And one of the greatest cliches is, uh, you're only as sick as your secrets. And it's a cliche because it's true. And when I share what I went through with Tom or Matt or Andrea, and they share with, with someone else, I mean, it's, it's 
It's incredible. And so many people in here I know from my own recovery and like, I don't mention I'm in this, maybe I do, I blow my anonymity all the time. What is that, is that horrible that I blow the tradition all the time? Could be. Uh, personally, I think the, an, the um, I think it's antiquated. I just do. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know, being sober is maybe one of the best things about me. The whole idea that you can't mention it, I think is, I think it's odd. So. Well, I also think there's no rules. I mean, who's going to enforce it? You know what I mean? Like, so you broke a tradition. Right. So, you know, right. it's like live and let live. We can do whatever we want to do. It's, it's just a suggestion and right. whatever. And it, there's a reason why they come up with the traditions ages ago. I also you know? think when there's 30 people smoking in front of a church, people generally <laughs> the know. The jig is up. Yeah. People generally know what's going on there. Right. Yeah, good point. Joe and I used to debate this a lot when he was first encouraging me to speak in public about it. And what really got through to me was Joe's, uh, was harm reduction. Joe's devoted a lot of his life to harm reduction. You know, and so, okay, if someone's in and out, if someone's not totally getting it, if someone is struggling, I mean, they're still alive, uh, which is a hell of a lot better than the alternative. Um, and that got me thinking a lot too. Once you embrace the concept of harm reduction and progress but not perfection, say. Uh, and, you know, th there was good reasons. It's not good to run. I wouldn't go telling somebody else who's drunk a log in public, right? I mean, I'm not going to tell tales out of school, but how I choose to talk about myself is, is my business. Absolutely. And I think um, the other thing, like Hank was just on the show, and so many people wrote me because the stuff that you shared about wasn't the traditional dopey stuff. It was like life stuff, and it was not drug stuff, and it was not death stuff, it was life stuff. And, and I've gotten to talk to you a bunch in the last couple of weeks because you actually believe in fellowship and you actually believe in communication and, and like, it's not bullshit. And when we actually participate in this and we don't just say we're gonna participate in this, we can feel better. And I think the only real reason to do it is, is to feel better. You know what I mean? We think drugs or alcohol is going to make us feel better, and it doesn't. You know, I mean, that, that's my big, uh, I want you guys to clap for my big thing. It's like, can you just clap for my big thing? I guess I'm, I'm not a big motivational speaker like Hank Azaria and Joe Frank, and Willie Taylor, but come on. Anything else you guys want to add on this topic before we move on? On this topic? What do you think of Dopey? All I really want to hear is, what do you think of DopeyCon? Isn't it incredible? Isn't it so cool? I've been taking, so I, I, I got, I've been, I'm so, I took, I started taking notes about halfway through. What did you get? Well, you know, I've got 17 years sobriety uh, in AA. <laughs> but I have like 25 years of Al-Anon recovery. So even, even with that level of, of Al-Anon recovery, I'm like, freaking out in here, triggered by all the stories. I want to like micromanage and caretake everybody in the room. It's like all I can do not to like literally lecture all of you and, and you know, it's like take you with me and say, let's talk about what you're doing with your life here because, which was really my drug of choice was, you know, getting, getting overly involved and nagging and scolding and complaining. What are the obsessed. notes though? You well, blown by Hawaiian tranny made yes, the note list. Yes, yes. You know, you, you laughed at my face when I, uh, when I heard about burning the penis. Yes, that was... But just the concept of stuffing a glory hole really freaked me out. 
Um, I'm also, I got a little triggered because I am Demi Lovato's current life coach, so I've helped her make some of those decisions. The young lady I just met uh, whispered to me, what if somebody walked into this church right now expecting a religious service? What would they think? Uh, this is great, by the way. Thanks. This is really good stuff. <laughs> uh, oh, when asked who has had blood on their ceiling, and many, many people raised their hands. That made an impression, too. Fentanyl J? The whole concept of Fentanyl J Where's is Where's Fentanyl J? Shout out to Fentanyl J. Because I, I turned to Joe and said, who's that? And Joe said, oh, that's a drug dealer. Well, like, oh. he's an ex-drug dealer. He works at Dirty Taco now. He sells tacos. Let's oh, okay. give it up for Fentanyl J one more time. I love that kid. I love that kid. So that story has a happy ending. And finally, I haven't seen Lily since I worked with her. And just today, I happened to be watching Say Anything. Oh. And there you were. She's so good in Say Anything. That's my Lily Taylor movie from her. Yes. You know, Joe's Lily Taylor movie is Rudy. Excuse me? Rudy. Rudy is, oh. well... Growing up Catholic, you know, there's, there's heaven, and then the Vatican, and then there's Notre Dame. So, <laughs> that movie's a very big deal in my culture. Lily, do you still go to meetings and stuff? Oh, yeah. I do. I do. Uh, they, they help me. Because if I'm away too long, I, I think I can, I can drink again. And um, I, I really do need to be reminded. You know, my friend... She was down at the South Street Seaport, and it was really hot, and she was with people she didn't like, and someone was like, had ordered a beer, and she was passing it, and then she was like, oh, but she didn't. But it's like, we hear that thing, like, it's only an arm's length away, and it's like, it, it's just a good, it really is. And, um, and I just, I love the fellowship, and just even sitting here tonight, and watching the memory stuff, mm. and just thinking, God, I hope everybody here tonight is here next year. Me too. I really do. Yeah. I really do. I think that was it. We're going to have another intermission. We are going to have... Hang on one second, Dave. Can yes, I just please, say, Joe. Please. Can I say something Help about... Me. I just want to say something about Chris, because, you know, I get very emotional. When I see him and when we adopted our son from Kenya, Chris was such an integral part of that integration of that kid. Like he was very close to Chris and Chris was very kind to him and Chris would ride the subway with him to school, you know, at first until he got used to New York and the whole thing. And that kid is now in his third year of medical school at Georgetown. It's amazing. So anyway, I always, when I see Chris, I think of all that. Well, I think that's very important because Joe came with Chris to meet me at Katz's in, in, in the end of 2015, and they walked to my apartment on Grand Street, and we sat down and we recorded the show, and Joe was like, this is fucking weird. But uh, it was like, I don't know, just anybody that's been around this show for that long and has that connection with Chris, it makes me, it chokes me up. And I'm so glad you're still around and I'm so glad you're still a part of this. And I, I just want to thank you for being here. And thank you for bringing Hank. And, and, and Lily Taylor is, came from Nick Flynn. You know the story. I, I'm waiting tables at Katz's. I just need to tell the story. Years ago, I'm waiting tables at Katz's and uh, this fucking weirdo 
come, chases me around, it's lauded author and poet Nick Flynn with a book that he wrote to me because he loved Dopey. And I was like, I was like, I think that guy's famous. <laughs> and he runs out. And then the, the manager of Cats, his name is Kevin, he's coming tonight, I don't know if he's here. He's like, that's Lily Taylor's husband. And that's, I mean, like, I love these, how it happens. And, and I think Dopey, I tried to hire a fucking big time celebrity booker on Dopey. They got nobody. Because, like, Dopey's not big enough. But love brings everybody to Dopey. So thank you guys for coming. We're going to have another intermission. Okay. Next up, we have another comedian. Here we go. Here it is, Aaron Burr. Here he is. Welcome. Hi, thank you. This is fucking great. How, I, I don't feel like complaining about anything right now. I, how are you? This is great. It's wonderful to be here, and uh, this is such an auspicious occasion. It's great to see Hank. Uh, here's my story. I, I'm originally from Canada. I'm not gay anymore, but... Uh, I, uh, I was walking, this was a big starstruck moment for me. I was walking down, uh, it was by outside of Joe's Pub, and I saw, it was the biggest star I ever saw. I saw Hank and walked right by him. And then mere moments later, I saw Paul Schaefer, and I was starstruck. I had no idea. And I was like, I'm Aaron Berg from Canada. And he goes, nice to meet you. And I go, I'm Aaron Berg from Canada. He goes, nice to meet you. And I was like, what a fucking loser. I should have picked Hank. He has stories. Um, I am a, I'm a recovering alcoholic, 10 years and uh, no drinks. I've never, I've never done heroin, I have done cocaine. I didn't get serious about it. I never did a line off a black man's penis, but uh, you know, it'd be fun. Not because it's racist, just because uh, fucking, it's easier to see the coke. And, uh, <laughs> and the lines are longer, but uh, thank God. This show's coming together. I left Canada. I moved here. I, I live in America now, and I'm very American. I do American shit. I got handguns. I got a Dodge Ram. And everyone's like, what do you do with a Dodge Ram in New York City? I'm like, it's so good for just driving through protests. And uh, thank God. The right side, good. The left side, very left. Some of you love me. Some of you are going to be like, dear Dopey, last night we were very offended when Joe Rogan took the stage. Um, different type of podcast. Um, I, I live with uh, my wife. I'm married, old-fashioned. I married a woman, and uh, like very old-fashioned. She was born a woman, and uh, we have a kid, old-fashioned. We kept it, and it's a daughter. Daughters are great. I want to have a second kid. I want to have a boy, but I found this out. To have a boy, you have to do different positions. Did you know that? To have a boy, you have to do anal and let it drip down. Um, I Googled it. I Googled have sex with boy. And that's what came up. It was that and just pictures of Epstein's plane. Now, by the way, I'm a dirty comedian. I don't know if you knew that right away. My wife and I, we are monogamous. If you don't know what that is, that is one woman for the rest of my life and hundreds of Asian hands. Now, we live in Jersey. It's fantastic. Before my wife, I was with another girl, very different situation. I was in love with her. And uh, she was a stripper. This was back in Canada. Now, I was a stripper at the time. I was a male stripper. I did it. It was a summer job. Just did it for a summer and then four years after. And 
I was not a good male stripper. I, I'm a midget Jew. We are not built for stripping. Like, if I was a rich man, and then I'm just grabbing all the pennies and stuffing them in my jean shorts. Wasn't a good stripper. But I had a friend who could strip like crazy. This guy's real name was Gary, but his stripper name was French Kiss. Great fucking name. And he could strip. He'd come out, 80s music playing, shot through the heart. And you women, ah, wetness everywhere. Guy was shredded, fucking abs, veins running down him, cum gutters. You know what cum gutters are? Those lower abs where you jack off on your belly and it runs down. And then this dude comes over, don't waste it. Ah, starts drinking all the jizz like it's a fucking ice sculpture fountain in the Hamptons, you know? And they're pouring vodka down it. This guy's yelling Sigma Chi forever. But uh, this is a good crowd. Now, here's what kept Gary out of the big time. He could never go to Chippendales or Thunder Down Under. Tiny dick, that's his problem. Three inches, max. Now I, massive cock. Nine inches, I measure from the small of my back. And it, uh, it curves to the right because I'm fiscally conservative and uh, it's a good dick. It's circumcised, they do that to us at fucking eight days old. There's no my body, my choice for Jewish men. You know, you're laying on your back, looking at your parents like, what's this party for? And then six feet away, there's egg salad and then some, Dick clipping weirdo walks in, you know, like you, but with a yarmulke on, just goes, kisses it a couple, many times if he's from Brooklyn. And like, you look circumcised, sir, but you look like you did it yourself with a box cutter, just fucking behind an Arby's dumpster, like, ah, now you have the meats, and then kicked it. All right. So French Kiss could strip. And we went out to an after-hours club. If you don't know what an after-hours club, the older people in here, you remember Prohibition. So we went out, and I saw this girl, and she was beautiful, most beautiful girl I'd ever seen, and her name was Sunshine, and her real name was Trudy Luby. Oh, gross. That's why she went by Sunshine. Gorgeous. This girl was a nine in the right light. You know, she just... Halter top, C-section scar, two kids, 21 years of age, unheard of in the white trailer park community. They're usually grandmothers by that age. Fake titties, but those old school fake titties. Remember you had to saw underneath and put a bag in? No one knew what was in those bags, but women were getting non-Hodgkin's lymphoma from those titties. Not like the new tits now where girls just screw a nipple off and put them in and there's a vape pen in one and a USB charger in the other one. Platinum iPhone and their pussy reduction. I don't know what they're doing now. And she had this dead brown tooth. Couldn't see it in the right light. And I walked up to her and I go, hey, what's up? And she goes, hey, how's it going? And I go, what are you, RFK Jr.? What the fuck's with the voice? She goes, you want to go do some drugs? And I wasn't a big drug guy. And I go, yeah, let's do some drugs. And we went out to the car and we smoked weed. It's a gateway drug. I don't know if you've heard of it. We smoked it and I started getting high. And then she goes, you want to do some ecstasy? And I'd never done ecstasy before. And I go, fuck yeah, if it gets me to fucking nine in the right light, yeah. And we took ecstasy. And if you've never done ecstasy before, it feels good. That's why they call it ecstasy. They don't call it mesothelioma, you know? So the ecstasy starts kicking in and I'm like, fuck, this is awesome. And she goes, you want to go somewhere and fuck? And I was like, drugs are awesome. And then we went and we tried to get somewhere to fuck. Now there were no hotels to fuck in Toronto on this Sunday night. They were all booked up. So we went and fucked in a motel. Now, if you've never fucked in a motel, you've never fucked. 
motels are made for fucking. You walk in, there's towels. You're like, don't touch them. There's cum on them. And everything in a motel makes noise. The bed squeaks, the headboard slam. These kids nowadays are fucking in Airbnbs and Verbos and shit like that. The only noise you hear there is if you're on the bed, the owner comes on the ring cam, like, stop having sex on the bed. I warned you, you're going to lose your deposit. Stop fucking on that bed. And we're about to fuck, and I'm all excited. She didn't want to give me a blowjob, which made no sense. She had a tongue ring, didn't want to give me a blowjob. Having a tongue ring, not giving a blowjob, is like having a tongue ring and not giving a blowjob. <laughs> Makes no sense. My wife used to spit on my dick when we first met. I don't know why. It's, it's all the rage now. I know the older women can't do it. You don't have enough moisture. You're worried you're going to get scurvy. But... Uh, this is how my wife would do it. She, that's not enough droplets to spread COVID through Wuhan. That's not what I like. I like like a, like a relief pitcher going in for the Mets in the seventh inning, ready to blow the game for Buck Showalter. And I get two blowjobs a year around my house, okay? It sounds hacky, but it's true. Birthday and anniversary. Only problem, birthday and anniversary, three days apart. My wife ain't sucking my cock twice in three days, okay? So what she does is the birthday one, she lays down a real bad blowjob, so I won't want another one. She gets real toothy with it. She's like, and she multitasks. Happy birthday to you. Are you one? Are you two? Are you? So... This guy's the best laugher. Thank you, sir. That's a good laugh. That laugh is what Bill Cosby called consent. Now, I shouldn't be in a church doing this. There's going to be lightning coming through any moment. So then Sunshine says these magical words, which are like rain on an old tin roof. She goes, you don't need a condom, which means I need a condom immediately. And I put a condom on, and I was young back then. I could fuck with a condom on. That's how I was 23. And you put a condom on me now, you better be burying me. And we, we started fucking. And we were fucking. Remember fucking when you're fucking it's making slapping noises and shit like that? You're beating that pussy up. You didn't even know what WAP was, but you were doing it. If I want that to happen now, I have a Google Nest next to my bed. And I go, hey, Google, make clapping noises. And... And I fuck my wife all awkwardly, and she goes, your rhythm's off. And I say, I'm sorry, I'm not black. And uh, thank you, sir, black laughs matter. Okay, so then, <laughs> I lost everybody on that. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to, <laughs> smiling a little bit. So we're fucking, and we're doing it. Now I'm old, I can't fuck like that. You know, you're old, you're gonna fucking blow your hip out, your sciatica's gonna go, your statin pills are gonna fall out of your pockets. Here's how I fuck now. I do a thing called soaking. And if you don't know what soaking is, that's when you put your dick in and you just leave it there. That's uh, what soaking is. Now, my wife is lazy, so she starfishes, right? So she just lays, uh, like that. And I'm on top of her soaking. Uh, and then we just stare at each other. And the first one to blink gets to come. And... Uh, it's usually me. I win. I go, oh, and then I mush her face in the pillow and I yell shit about the WNBA and I run off. So we're fucking and it's great and I'm enjoying it and I'm having fun. And I'm feeling young and I start falling in love with this girl because the ecstasy is making me feel like I'm in love with this stripper. And then my friend Gary's trying to fuck her friend on the other bed and he can't. You can hear the softness. Just I'm sorry, this never happens. He's trying to sing her fucking kiss by a rose by seal. And uh, 
And he goes, yo, bro, turn the light on. And I go, why? He goes, turn the light on. And I go, why? He goes, just turn it on. And I turn it on. And then all of a sudden, Gary gets hard. And he starts fucking. Then it hits me. Oh, my God. My friend, French Kiss, is gay. And I never knew that. Now, I'm not gay. I blew a dude when I was 12, but I never talk about it. And I never thought I'd see him again. So it's a very weird night for me. And I, I'm not judging them. We live in New York City. It's 97% K. And I don't know if that statistic's true, but I do watch Fox News. And here's what I've learned about gay men. Back me up on this. There are three types. They classify themselves based on precious metals. So there's platinum gay, which means they've never touched a vagina. They were born C-section. And then... There's gold star gay, which means they never fucked a girl, but they came out of their mom's pussy and they were like, disgusting, and ran down the street, threw sparkles and sang Sam Smith. And then there's gay like this dude, you know, crushing pussy now, but he hates it. And he'll be like, <laughs> throw up on it. She'll be like, what's wrong? He'll be like, there must be gluten in there. And then he runs off. And I didn't judge him. And we fell in love, Sunshine and I. And it was six months of tumultuous, abusive on her behalf relationship. She started cheating on me with this Coke dealer named Carlos. And he had a Lamborghini. And I didn't blame her. I drove a Honda. I get it. And then she called me. And she's like, yeah, you're a fucking loser. I would have stayed with you if you could fuck better. Carlos fucking brings it. And then she goes, I got some news. I think I'm pregnant. And I said, we, we should probably discuss our options. She goes, there are no options. Babies are a gift from God. And I was like, I think we have different gods. Uh, my God is Jewish. And right now he's like, you need to get out of this situation immediately. This baby's a curse. <laughs> Luckily, she was not pregnant. It was ovarian cancer. And it was then I knew that there was a God watching over me. You have a very good audience built in, Dave. Most people would be offended fleeing for the doors at this point. It means a lot to me to be able to come up on a very special, heartfelt show and talk about almost knocking up a stripper. But I hope, I hope you guys still have a lot of sex. You're an old man, and clearly he's older than you, or he did a lot of meth in the 80s. But someone fuck this old dude. It's, it's hot. You fuck an old dude, you get to role play weird shit, like elder abuse. Have you ever done that? A girl come home and you're like, you ain't my nurse. And then she just sits on your face. Eat your oatmeal, Pop Pop. Eat your oatmeal. Guys, I really appreciate you having me. Thank you so much. It's, it's an honor, David. Aaron, thank Dude, you. thank you. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. It's horrible. It's horrible. As horrible as everybody was. Let's hear it for Aaronberg. My, my poor father almost stroked out during that bit. The fucking chair, and then Aaron Berg. I don't know if my dad is going to survive tonight. But um, let's hear it for Aaron Berg. That was incredible. Um, all right. We have a big treat. Ask Aaron segment. Celebrity Ask Aaron. Where's Aaron Carr? Come on up, Ask Aaron Carr. Strung out author, Aaron Carr. Paulina Pinsky, where are you? And Dr. Drew Pinsky, come on down. All right. Oh, they're better sturdy chairs. Yes. Yes. Wherever you want. Just make yourselves comfortable. Let's come on up. Is it on? I don't think it's. Oh, it's on. It's on. Is it on? Yeah. All right. 
And you guys all know Aaron, Paulina, and of course, the one and only Dr. Drew. Dopeycon IV. What do you think? Amazing. Amazing. It's such a privilege to have been a part of the Dopey community from, it seems like, early on. Well, it was definitely early on. You, you came on the show maybe six months before Chris died. And it was, besides being with Annie and, and, and being a, you know, be, almost being a PhD, I think that when we went up to your apartment on the Upper West Side, it was one of the highlights of his life. And uh, his life didn't have much time after that. And that's very meaningful to me. He was doing so well. It's such a cunning, fucked up disease. Makes me angry. Well, you should feel good that you gave him that moment, because I do. And I'm so grateful to you for that. It's, it's, it blows me away. And he also, you, whenever we need you, you come. Mm-hmm. And like, dude, let's hear it for Dr. Drew. Because not only that, but when I got COVID the first time, you called me. Like, when you drove past my dad's house, you're like, I think I'm near your dad's house, David. It's like, you, you're a kind, generous person, you're and right, I appreciate you. And your daughter fucking killed it on Dopey. I don't know if, I don't know. Did you hear her on Dopey? He didn't. You know, when, I warned him. When Joe spoke about the uh, beleaguered Al-Anon dad, I started relating very strongly. <laughs> so those are stories I can only listen to with half an ear. How about Aaron Burt? Serious business, the last comedian. Oh my God, know. Google Nest, clap for me, please. Um, By the way, from now on, I want you to call me French Kiss. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Yikes. And and last, but certainly not least, the fucking one and only strung out author, elite equestrian, and unlicensed advice columnist, Ask Aaron Carr. How many shows do you think you've been on? You a might lot. have deserved the Dopey Medal of Freedom. I know. I know Novak got the Dopey Medal of Freedom. You can't. But, but, you know, I haven't been on for a while, though. That doesn't, you'll cut, you're here. This is recorded. I know. It's happening right now. I know. Can I make a suggestion before we move forward? Please. Uh, so, can we, can we drop the transphobia moving forward? Woo! Um, I, uh, it sounds like that trans woman did her job because it was a quick blow job. So, we should be all celebrating her win. Uh, I think. Um, Let's celebrate everybody. Let's yeah, just celebrate. Like, yeah. Tonight is a celebration. DopeyCon IV is no joke. Um, did you tell your father about the summer of pegging or no? I, I warned him and he looked like he'd been shot by a gun. So. But thank you for bringing that up. I, I can't, I mean, I can't, I can't help myself. We've covered a lot of bases tonight. And I, she, she turned to me, she goes, I was high. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, no, no shit, Paulina. Thank you, Paulina. Um, what one of our traditions on the show is that Aaron gets questions from the audience and then we try to answer them. And I figured Aaron grew up listening to Loveline and she was so excited oh, gee, that Dr. <laughs> Drew was here. And I said, well, why don't we do a bit? And Paulina is now listening to the show and she's plugged in. I love did, it. Don't did be a you, diet. Did you tell Dave our history together? Yes. She no. did. Tell, yeah. the, tell so, the Dopey okay. Nation. So, I, the last time that I saw Dr. Drew was in 2001 at a rehab facility in Pasadena, California. And if you've read the book, he's in the book. A couple times, me in my mother's car listening to Loveline when he was on with the poor man. Oh, wow. Way back. <laughs> yes, it's, way, it's so, way back. I, I was so impressed. I'm a, 
I was looking at your book, mm -hmm. and you remember that I, I emphasized how trauma puts the rocket fuel into addiction. Yes, yeah. it, was the, it was a turning point for me. I did not get it yet. I still, I relapsed a few more times, but it was a big turning point for me because it was the first time that I started addressing my childhood trauma and my mental health issues, which were really at the core of my addiction. And um, so, you know, you were a pivotal person, as I'm sure you've been for so many people, patients and people who've listened to you. And, and I just, thank you. It's <laughs> so thank it's you. a real, thank like. Look at the, this the, love fest between <laughs> Aaron Carr and Dr. Drew. She's <laughs> doing my job. It's, it's like the, the fact that I get to do this with you now is amazing. Crazy. And, you know, now with 20 plus years of recovery, and I never, you know, I mean, I don't want to get emotional. <laughs> I, if you cry Dave on dopey, it's when way better. So, when people cry, it's really good for the show. I, but I think of that <laughs> watching like the in memoriam. And, and this last year, I lost a lot of people, including somebody who was in family group with me <laughs> when I was in rehab. And I, <clears throat> you know, it just, it never ceases to amaze me that I made it out. And I'm just going to say, you know, there's a lot of reasons. One of them is harm reduction. One of them is that I had access to care, which a lot of people don't. And number three is I was lucky. Um, because I think there is sometimes just dumb luck involved. But I didn't ever believe that I would be able to stay off of drugs, be happy, live. <laughs> So the fact that I'm here and I'm a pretty happy person and I have the life that I have is a testament. I started doing drugs. Well, the first time I took an opiate, I was eight. I started using heroin at 13. I'm 49 now and I have, I'll have 21 years in March of next year. So I didn't think that I would ever be able to live without drugs. And I live a pretty good life, so. I think you have a very, very beautiful life. You should see, she decants ketchup, Dr. Drew, just so you know. She decants decant every fucking liquid in her house. It is well organized, her fridge is well lit. She has a very nice life. You gotta put the energy somewhere. She, she's a serious decanter. Now, right. a tradition on yes. the show is to read a question. Now that you're done bragging about your recovery and your nice life, let's get on with the question. Please. Okay, so I have a question. I brought extra copies if you want to look at it while I... Thank you. you know. I appreciate that. Would you like, would one of you like to read it? Sure. I love reading in public. Okay. Subject, broken trust equals broken heart. Message, dear Aaron, I've been with my fiance for almost seven years now. We're both addicts in recovery. We used together early in our relationship, but got clean at different times. I have about four years clean and sober now. Hell yeah. Uh, he just recently relapsed following the unexpected death of his younger brother, and now he's having trouble staying clean again. We've been going to NA meetings and having lots of heart-to-heart -heart conversations. I've also gotten him therapy, but he's lied about his using and other things related to it so much that I don't feel comfortable trusting him anymore. Yet, I don't want to lose him or end the relationship yet. I have expressed to him several times how important it is that I can trust him. Help, please! Dr. Drew, can you help this person? This is why, is it, when you're in the position of the caretaker, you don't tell people how to live their lives. But uh, I, like Hank, am a world-class codependent, so I, I know it when I see it. 
she needs to get the hell out of here or she's going to go down too, for sure. Now, giving advice like that, I can't really do that. It sounds harsh. Her sponsor could do that. She could start going to Al-Anon and maybe come to that. But this is not going to go well. And there's probably, as you all know well, a lot more going on than she realizes, for sure. Uh, and a great testament to why you don't try to get sober together in a relationship. It doesn't work. You have to grow to become whoever you're going to be in the program, in recovery. And as you do so, you're going to be attracted to and by different people than you would have been when you were in your illness or even earlier in your recovery. And if you're with somebody, you insist on holding on to that person and getting sober with them, it locks you in. You're like a lock and a key. And you can't, that key can't shift into whatever else it needs to become. And then your sobriety goes down with, with the other person. It's, it's, it's sad and it's tough, and I would never tell somebody, you gotta get out of this, but I would find ways to help them get to that point where they would get to it on their own. And by the way, she wouldn't take the advice from me anyway, right? Maybe, I mean, you never know. No, no, she wouldn't, because she's codependent. She's, she's deep in it, deep in it. That may even be her primary problem. Paulina, can you relate to this letter oh, at all? Oh, I relate so hard, except I, we were never sober together. And I know from firsthand experience how instrumental leaving that relationship in which you are not on the same plane spiritually, emotionally, physically, because you're both, one is clean and one is using, you hold yourself back by staying in that situation. And in my first 30, I was just reminiscing the other day, my first 30 days, I came back to New York to clean up my apartment and I found my cat dead, almost dead in a closet, and like I had to move out, and it was all these horrible things, but I was still engaged 30 days in. He would not let me break up with him, you know? And now, two years out, you know, I'm at DobeCon sitting next to my dad who just found out I had a summer of pegging, and... Well said. You know, <laughs> my, mom, my mom was like, oh, we don't care, and I said, I know you don't care, but dad does. <laughs> yeah, your mom um, is my a mom, piece of work, my mom, for sure. My mom is not the boundary queen, but we love her anyways. Um, Let's hear it for Susan Pinsky one more time. Give stand up, Sue. She did my hair tonight. I look beautiful because of you, mom. Anyways, um, so when you're in that moment, you think that person is all you have. But when you actually let that person go and really choose yourself, you can't see yourself clearly when you're looking at someone else and assessing their problems. I stayed in that relationship so long because I was like, well, I'm not doing dabs and ketamine and research chemicals and freedom today. Um, but I was just as bad. And so really what you have to do is choose yourself. And so I really, I, I empathize deeply, but choosing myself was the best decision I've ever made. Nice, I like that. And, and ask Aaron on licensed advice. Do you have a different, different no, piece of I, advice? No, I don't. And I'll just add one thing, and it's something that I say a lot when I speak about addiction and the role that my romantic relationships played in my addiction, because I think that for a lot of people, definitely for me, um, they were a big part of my story. You know, I had like sex and love addiction as well. I mean, it was Very, it's, and it's really, that's just another flavor of codependency, right. which is super yeah, common. I feel and like I, I don't, oh, sorry. Oh, no, it's okay. No, I, <laughs> who doesn't I have love addiction I, is the One question. thing I say is that like every relationship I had while I was in active addiction was dependent on my partner's codependency. And that doesn't mean that it was their fault. And if, you know, for people who are in relationship with somebody who's using, it's not that it's their fault, but 
a relationship is not going to work <laughs> with somebody in active addiction if the other person doesn't have some sort of codependent involvement with them. Um, so, you know, it, people never want to hear it, that they need to, you know, it doesn't mean that it won't work. Like Dave and Linda, they had to separate in order to find a way back to one another. But he, I don't believe that you would have the relationship you have now had you stayed together that whole time. I, I have given that kind of advice, like just for now. Yeah. Just don't worry about later. We yeah, I was going to say, this looks like it's going to work out. She could save him, give him some money, <laughs> make him happy. They could be comfortable, hang out. No, that's not the right advice. So that's why I'm not an advice comment. <laughs> it could work. It could be, a, right, Jay? It's going to work out. It could work for them. I don't know. I've seen a lot of sober people go out because of their love addictions, you know, and it's something where they get hyper fixated on a person and six months later they're out. And I think that that's kind of the nefariousness of this disease is it's not just the substances, it's how we relate to people and who we relate to and who we put in our orbit. And so if it's meant to be, it's gonna, it's gonna find you. Life, God willing, is long. If you love something, you set it free. Hell yes, if it doesn't come back to you, it wasn't meant to be. Here, here. Now, I want to thank you guys for making Aaron's Ask Aaron fantasy come true. <laughs> I want to thank you for coming to DopeyCon. So great. I want to thank you for having such a wild and free daughter who is <laughs> killing it. And thank, and let's hear it for these guys. <laughs> Fucking amazing. Now, thank you, Aaron. Thank you. Thank you, Paulina. Thank you, Dr. Drew. Now, when we came up with this idea to do the storytelling slam, for my money, there was, there was a few stories in the history of the show that meant something to me. But, but there was one storyteller over the years who everyone kept saying, what about Jessa Reed? When's Jessa Reed gonna come back? That crazy alien loving, fifth dimensional, incredible person. And I said, she's never coming back. Jessa Reed will never be back. And then out of nowhere, Jessa Reed came back. And she was on the show this year, and it was incredible. And now she wants to tell a story in our storytelling competition. And she says, she says I don't want to be in the competition. She's in the competition. Jessa Reed, let's hear it for Jessa, everybody. Thank you. I once carried a dead owl around for two weeks. Or sorry, I mean, hello. I'm not very good at small talk. All right, so a few pieces of information you'll need to set up this story. Number one is the story takes place about four years into a meth bender, as do most stories about befriending dead animals. Number two, about one year into the meth bender, I had a near-death experience where I went back to a blue ball of light that told me that reality is a video game and we're going from one video game to a different video game and we're actually aliens in the future, all kinds of cool shit, life-changing, gave me a new sense of meaning and purpose. So the next day I went to the club where you go the day after you were dead. And at the end of the night, when they turned the lights off, there was a pendant on the floor 
And when I picked it up and looked at it, it had an owl on one side and the goddess Athena on the other side, which is how I knew that I was Osiris reincarnated. Now, I do not have the time nor the meth to connect those dots for you. You will just have to take my word for it that at this point in my life, owls were significant. The third thing is I was not a criminal. I did not do crime. I lost my teeth very early in addiction, and I picked up a wicked case of meth-induced schizophrenia and fortunately was lucid enough to know that that would land me in prison. So I did not, I was not a criminal, but I did hang out with a lot of criminals, or they hung out with me, which is a mystery because I was clearly a liability. My theory is that they liked me around because I was very confusing for the police to deal with. A huge distraction without even trying, just being my authentic self. I was in more than one raid where the cops kicked open the door and I was in the corner with 15 pigtails in my hair rifling through my papers. This is back when you did research of conspiracy theories, you had to actually like print them out. And the cops would see me and they would be like, jackpot, come here. Would you like to tell us what's going on here? And I'm like, oh, I would love to tell you what's going on here. Whew. Well, I was sent by the collective consciousness to awaken a tribe of higher dimensional beings that seeded themselves into human lives at the beginning of this video game. I don't know, it's a video game. It has something to do with Atlantis. And they're like, get the fuck out. But I'm already on a roll by that point, so I'm like drawn on pictures of 12-strand DNA and explaining that aliens don't really have feet per se. They more or less taper off at the bottom. My friends are flushing the drugs down the toilet. Very convenient. Better than a Rottweiler. That person lived in a cookhouse. Um, very convenient. Sometimes. I don't know. But this is a story of a time that somebody should not have taken me with him to commit a felony. This story took place a long time ago, however long ago the statute of limitations was. And this was me and my friend Tom. We were driving, well, roommate Tom. By roommate, I mean guy who let me sleep in his kitchen. So Tom and I were driving 10 pounds of weed up from Mexico. This is back before you could buy it at the grocery store. And we get up to, I don't know, somewhere in like Northern California, and we stop at a rest stop, and Tom's paranoid, so he parks ridiculously far away from the bathroom. I go in, and as I'm coming out, there is a king-size pillow on the ground, and on top of it is the biggest owl I have ever seen in my life. It was like the size of the pillow. And I bend down to touch it, and it's like still warm. And I was like, oh my God, what is this? Is this still alive? Do owls like hibernate? Maybe that's what the pillow is for. 
And then I realize, oh my God, this is definitely for me. So I scoop it up and I grab the pillow for good measure and I start heading back to the car. And like, I've been like this my whole life. I haven't had a real tight grip on reality ever, but the stimulants definitely didn't help. And sometimes when I reflect back on these stories, I like to think about what it was like to be my friend or any witness to me whenever I'm doing any of this. Because like when you're processing an event, you only have the categories of reason that you have. And the categories of reason that you have are based on your own life experience. And very few people have enough life experience to understand what the fuck I'm ever doing. So like I see Tom squinting and I can't imagine that he was like, oh, she must have found a dead owl. <laughs> and a bedroom pillow. So I come walking up to the car with all of the audacity and entitlement of a tweaker holding a dead owl. And Tom's like, what, 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 what is that? And I was like, well, um, it's an owl. It's maybe dead. I don't know. It's like warm, though. Do you know if owls hibernate? And he was like, you're not bringing a maybe alive owl into the fucking car, Jessa. We have 10 pounds of weed. That thing's going to maul us. And I was like, that thing's going to maul us. I got it. So I take the owl and I stuff it into the pillowcase and I tie it up. Little known trivia, owl's talons cannot penetrate linen. I throw it in the back seat and then the whole way there, every time we hit a bump, he's like, what the fuck? The first place we went to drop something off was in Eugene, Oregon. And we went to the house of a like 40 year old weed dork. Just like a normal dude who doesn't do drugs. I don't know what it's like now, but do you guys remember back when, like, if you just wanted to buy weed, and you wanted to get, like, a good, you know, like, a, you wanted those Costco prices, right, of weed, you'd have to deal with some sort of real drug addict, you know, like some unsavory, some tweakers, some junkies, a cartel, something. If you want to deal, you have to deal with someone like us. So this guy already didn't like us. He's got like a wife and a kids and a, and a man cave in the garage. He is not ready for what's about to happen. And we walk in and it's, he's, got, he's got like a horseshoe of couches. So he's here in the center. Tom's over here. He's immediately counting money. I'm over here. We dork just immediately loads the, the bong and smokes the whole thing got very high, which I'm sure he lived to regret once I got started. So I load a bowl of meth, because we are on a road trip, and energy drinks make my belly hurt. And I take a couple hits, and then I remember that I have an owl. So I'm like, Tom, give me the keys, I need to go get the owl. And Tom doesn't even look up because he's used to my shit. So he's counting the money and he's like, you're not going to go get the owl right now, Jessa. And I was like, no, no, I really need to go get the owl. And he's like, no, you're not going to get the owl. And here's Weed Dork is just like bouncing back and forth, listening to us. 
Once again, categories of reason, right? He's like, he's probably like, is an owl something you smoke out of, you know? He's probably not like, oh, she must have found a dead owl at a rest stop. And now she thinks she's going to reanimate it with meth. So I take the keys against Tom's will, and I go out to the car, and I grab the owl, and I come walking back in. I've got a pillowcase carrying it like a briefcase. It's got an owl talon coming out of the top of it. And I walk over to the couch and I pull it out and then I light up some meth and then I shotgun it into the owl's beak. Now, I don't know if you've ever shotgunned meth smoke into an owl's face before. I mean, statistically, at least two of you in this room. But it's crazy. It's, the anatomy here is, it's all connected, right? So I would blow it into its beak and then it would come out of its eyes. It would be like, oh. It would look like if a Furby was vaping. And because it would open its eyes, I would feel like it, I got it, like it woke up, you know? So I just kept being like, got it. Don't got it. Okay. And going back in. And then I was like feeling around under the feathers looking for where to do chest compressions, but I'm not CPR certified. Meth dork is just like this weed dork, maybe meth dork after this. I mean, he has to still be telling this story. Uh, I gave the owl about a half teener. And, uh, and then decided to just wait wait till we get to Portland and finish it out. So I put it back into the pillowcase, tie it up. I'm ready to go. I'm waiting for Tom. He's whispering in the hallway to the, to the weed guy. He's like, hey, me, I'm just I'm really sorry. I just, I, she didn't have that owl when we left the house. I obviously wouldn't have let her bring that here. She found it, I just, and she just thinks that she's Osiris because she never learned about fucking Greek mythology. It just, it's fine. I just I won't bring her again. He's doing a little customer retention. We get home and I weekend with Bernie's this owl for the next two weeks. It never decomposed. It stayed warm. I don't know if I just like embalmed it with meth or what. Um, I was like this every day. This was like a Tuesday for me. So the craziest thing about this story was that I forgot it. I just completely forgot that I did this until I told a somehow worse meth story on the internet and then old friends were coming out of the woodwork and leaving, leaving anecdotes, you know, like, oh, I remember. And a friend was like, hey, do you remember when you carried around a dead owl for two weeks and gave it all of our meth? And I was like, oh shit, I should tell that story. And so it wasn't until I told it to a friend right then with 10 years clean, I had 10 years clean, I told in the story that I realized how ridiculous it is that I fell for this next part. But uh, on drugs, it made sense. So I leave one night to go run some errands or steal mail, whatever. And I leave Tom to babysit the owl. And when I get back, he goes, oh my God, you're never going to believe it. An owl shaman came by. 
Now, in my defense, this is 2004. There wasn't this, like, everybody wasn't appropriating. It wasn't just every tech bro that did ayahuasca is not calling himself a shaman. Like, he had to have found that word in a fucking book. I don't know where he got it. But he says an owl shaman stopped by. Uh, I don't know if they're just knocking door to door or what. And, uh, and she needed the owl. So I gave it to her, and she left you these incense. And I was like, oh my God, what a synchronicity. How magic is that? I wonder if I found the owl for her. And not until I had the clarity of 10 years clean did I realize that Tom threw my owl in a dumpster and gave me some Jack in the Beanstalk gas station incense. That's it. Thank you very much. Thank you, Jessa. Thank you. We love the owl story. Let's hear it for Jessa Reed. Now, we're just about at the end of the show, but uh, I want to say two things really quickly. The first thing, I want to tell you about the two bits we didn't do tonight that I really wanted to do. The first bit was I was going to have fake bounty hunters come in here and take Jay out. That was the first bit. But I was scared that Jay would fight. It was going to get bad. So we, I figured it wasn't that funny in the end. But, but it kind of is funny. And the second bit that I really wanted to, oh, first of all, that's Toast. Let's hear it for Toast from Katz's and Hector from Katz's. And we will eat shortly. But the second bit, and this is a little bit more of an involved bit that I had planned on doing and I was talked out of doing, but I need to tell the story. Okay, I was going to start it months ago. And it was going to start with fake reviews coming into the show saying that my father wasn't to blame for my heroin addiction. That I'm a jerk, and of course it's my fault and not his fault. And he would read the reviews on the show and feel good about himself and say, oh, wait, 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 hold up. Where's Seymour? Did Seymour leave? There's Seymour, by the way, from the fucking fantasy basketball league. The diabolical Seymour. Wave, wave, Seymour. And I just want to make it clear that Seymour is a villain in the basketball league, but in reality, he's a very sweet man. So let's hear, let's, you know, Seymour. Anyway, so back to the fake story. My dad was going to read the fake reviews and feel very much comfortable with his position with my addiction and the whole story. There's going to be three fake reviews. And then I was going to announce on the show that this author, Margot Bordeaux, a fake French author who is an expert in addiction and the family, was going to come to DopeyCon to talk about addiction and the family. And, and I was going to you know, exonerate my father for not turning me into a heroin addict. And the French author was going to come on stage and her book was going to be called Who's to Blame, right? Can you imagine? So she's going to be up here and then I'm going to call my dad up and he's going to sit down and she's going to say in a bad fake French accent, oh, I've been uh, listening to this show for many years and it is your fault that he's a heroin addict. But I didn't get to do it, so bear with me. Now we're going to vote. Now we're going to vote. Now, who's still here from the storytelling competition? Bobby Dukes is here. Sean Weiss is here. Fucking Brandon Novak is in the back. And Jessa Reed is here. 
Now, I don't know how I'm going to fucking do this. This is a dumb idea. They're all winners. I mean, you're all winners, right? They're all winners. But one of you has to take home the coveted dopey head. And before we figure out the winner, I want to give a big shout out to joyous non-alcoholic wine and curious beverages and Rachel from Sober in Central Park for putting it together. Say what's up to Rachel and her people, Nikki and Anna and Tawny Lara, who wrote the book Dry Humping, who's been helping out. And Suki Jones has another book, whatever. Let's figure it out. Let's figure it out. Who won the fucking contest? All right. Will you guys come up or is that weird? Should I have them come up? All right, come on up, come on up. Brandon, come on up, please. Sean, fucking Bobby, Jessa. This is a weird thing. Ray Brown told me not to do this. Ray Brown said that people are going to feel badly if they don't win. So nobody, will you feel badly if you don't win? You'll feel badly if you, uh, stop it. Come on. Okay, so we're going to do the applause-o-meter. This is a terrible idea, right? Felicia says, I don't care, fuck it. You won the Medal of Honor. Sean Weiss is doing good. All right. We're going we're gonna to vote. Who loves Bobby Duke's burnt penis in the glory hole with a crack pipe? You like this one? All right. Who loved Jessa Reed owl resuscitation? Who loved Brandon Novak? And who has... Sean Weiss, cop, pen, meth pipe. Okay, I'm not gonna do it twice. I think Bobby Dukes won. Bobby Dukes, you're the winner. You think Jess, oh yeah, maybe, let's do it again. I have amnesia, I have amnesia. You're gonna donate it to Jessa Reed? Jessa Reed, the champion of the storytelling slam. All right, go sit down. Let's hear it for everybody. Now, before we're done, I want Fentanyl J to come up here and I want my dad to come up here. My dad and Fentanyl J, come on. Did you see when, uh, hold on. Check, check, check. Did you want to tell a story or you want to tell a story? Uh, how can I fucking follow that, that up? You know what I mean? What do you think of DopeyCon? Wow, you guys fucking did it, huh? Look Let's at this fucking Shout place. out to Fentanyl J. Holy he single-handedly changed the culture of Dopey. Fucking Let's get down here. Now, Dad, I want you to have a moment with Jay. Oh, I want shit. you guys to have a moment together. All right, do I get off the stage yeah. now? Dad, Let's tell go. Jay how you feel. Look, everybody knows uh, that I don't think anybody should be selling fentanyl. You know that. Jay, do you think anybody should be I don't think be anyone should be either, Alan. Well, can we have a nice moment here? I'm trying to, yeah, this is the end. This is the big happy ending. So uh, how are you going to do? How are you feeling? What's I'm feeling happen? good, man. I'm feeling good. I'm not going to sell fentanyl, though. Let's hear it for fentanyl, Jay, yeah. my dad. Now, one last thing. Jay, give him a hug. Let's bring it in. That's the real thing right there. Now, more, more importantly, Dad, tell Jay to turn himself in. Just don't, tell him. Don't do it, Alan. I don't know what Dr. Drew would... We need Dr. Drew. We do not need Dr. Drew. <laughs> Dr. Drew, we need, oh, we, we, need, we need a clinical intervention on Fentanyl J really quickly. All right, I did not after sign the show, up for this. After the show. <laughs> I think he has to figure it out on his own. I really do. Okay, now, do you want to say something Good nice before you, this is over? Um, what a show. Hell yeah. Dobicon IV. Do you have today? Is today day one again? 
I do not, but I will have tomorrow. Let's pray for everybody. Let's pray for Fentanyl J. And Dad, before it's over, what do you want to say to the, the world? What did you think about my fake bit? I'm, I'm glad you didn't do it, I'll tell you. <laughs> Look, I, I really want to say something. Um, you, you know I'm, I'm probably proud of my son, David. Thank Incredibly you. Incredibly proud. And, and you know I love him very much. But I want to tell you, you guys are absolutely incredible also. I, I get, I give you the word quell when I hear all these stories from you guys and you people all around the world. It's, it's just wonderful. And I think you need to spread the message that everybody could, could get better. And I think it's very, very important. Now, Dad, do you think that... Uh, you can beat Seymour this league in your fantasy basketball? Look, Seymour has been my friend for probably over 70 years. And, and he was going to tell this rotten story about me beating him in tennis, which, of course, is not All right, not let's not get old. carried away, Dad. Any, Come on. Any, anyway, uh, yeah, fantasy basketball. It's, you got to beat Seymour. That's the name of the game. It's an beat addiction. It's, this is an addiction's new face right here. All right. <laughs> Thank you guys, everybody. It's been a magical evening. Stay strong, Dopey Nation. Wait, 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 wait. You got to do the song. We'll do the fucking song. Stay strong, Dopey Nation. Fucking toodles for Chris. We're going to serve cats as we're going to do the song. Thank you guys for coming. Will you guys sing the song? Sing it loudly. Better than Baby Back Ribs, okay?
And damn it, all these suckers make me mad. And it's all I ever had. And it's all I ever had. And it's all I ever had. And these suckers make me mad. And it's all I ever had. And I want to call my dad. And it's all I ever had. And it's all I ever had. Thank you, everybody, for coming. Go eat cats. All right. Thank you, everybody.